Center for Parent Youth Understanding and the CPYU Podcast Network, you're listening to The Word in Youth Ministry, a podcast by youth workers for youth workers, where we give insights, strategies, and helps for effectively teaching God's Word to our students. Here we are on episode 18 of the Word in Youth Ministry podcast. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor of student ministry at Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. And I am here, as always, with my friends Matt and Linda. Matt, how are you today in San Antonio, Texas? I am I'm doing quite well. I have, um, I have this week off. I'm not preaching this week, so that's kind of fun. Get to think big picture about stuff. Balcony time, if you will. And uh, yeah, life is good. And Matt, I did not prep you for this, so this should be a good answer. But in all the years you've been in youth ministry, uh, this episode will be dropping probably in January. We're recording this right now um, around Christmas time. But what's your favorite youth ministry memory that's around Christmas? Oh, man, I um, it's hard to say a, a particular memory per se. I just want to pause right now and say the listeners can't see us because we're seeing each other on this video call, but Linda's mind is moving right now. She is, she is thinking (laughs) through how she is going to answer this question, (laughs) but little does she know I'm not going to ask her this question. Oh, nice. Throw a curveball. So we, we do something, my favorite event of the entire year in youth ministry happens um, early in December. This is our Christmas progressive dinner in youth ministry. And we go, you know, it's a, the three-part progressive dinner, appetizer, dinner, and dessert house. And we get them to dress up really nice. So sem- we, we put semi-formal on the invitation. We don't tell them the first house until they RSVP. We get a ton of students. So I think we had like 88 students show up and see- for senior high for this progressive dinner. And we do steak sous vide. So what that means is you cook, you cook steaks, you heat them up to the proper internal temperature, and then just hit them on the grill real quick. Um, using water and a particular device called a sous vide, which means fully under in French, I think. And, uh, and then we make desserts and we do caroling and we, um, and we have a little homily. It's, it is a great event. And all the kids have like bow ties on and you would never expect that students would do this, but they love it. Matt, so you, you have just um, wet the appetite, not only for food, but of the youth workers listening to this podcast thinking, what could it look like to take my kids on a progressive dinner? You that, can do it, guys. It is that, doable. We've done it for like six years now, and it's fantastic. That is incredible. And Linda, near Orlando, Florida today, how are you? Doing well. I, uh, I'm i not going to ask you about Christmas, unless you have something you want to say about Christmas and youth no, ministry. I, I have nothing to compare with that. Wow. Well, <laughs> how about we have you? today? Today's important topic, uh, we're talking about how to teach the Bible to students. We wanted to have a practical conversation about that, what that would look like for us to teach the Bible uh, literally just to our students, how the three of us in our different settings, and we figured we'd frame it around Genesis chapter one. So how we would teach Genesis chapter one. So instead of asking you a question about, uh, about Christmas, I was wondering maybe you would read the first few verses of Genesis chapter one for us. And then Matt is going to start our conversation, how we would teach this, this text uh, to our students. And I just want to frame it real quick. Uh, for our listeners, that obviously um, this podcast is titled The Word in Youth Ministry, but we do just want to say that we realize teaching the Bible looks different in each setting. 
Now, the Bible is the substance of what we're teaching. We believe that all the Bible is inspired by God. Uh, as the theologians say, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. But at, what we hope to model here, as Linda reads a few verses in Genesis 1, and then we just uh, converse around the topic, how we would teach it to students. Um, we realize that for some people listening, you have two or three students that are sitting there in chairs and you're discussing it together. Other people listening, you might have a hundred students that you're teaching more of a sermon type lesson to. Um, the goal here is not to always talk tactical, what that looks like, but um, the goal, as it says, um, as Paul writes to Timothy, our goal is progress. So we hope that as we have this discussion today, not only would we, uh, the three of us, Matt, Linda, and I grow in our Bible teaching ability, but we hope for those who are listening um, that we would all grow in progress, that we would all grow um, and be able to better um, handle the word of God and deliver it to our students. So Linda, why don't you read um, as far as you want in Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, and then Matt's going to start us off in this conversation. Okay. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. We'll stop there for now. Okay, Matt, start us out. Yeah, so the first thing that I'm going to be thinking about when I teach this is I'm going to try to sidestep some of the very common questions that we have when we come to this text. Most commonly is, well, how old is the earth? The reason I want to sidestep that is because not because I don't think that that's an important question. It's because I don't think that that's particularly what the text is teaching us first and foremost. And so the question is, well, how do I know what the text is teaching me first and foremost? And the way you get there, we've talked a lot about this a lot in interpretation on this podcast before is, well, you kind of look for the topic sentence, <laughs> you know, like you look for the big and the main idea. And you have this kind of first sentence here in the beginning, God. Okay, so we know God did something. He created the heavens and the earth. What's interesting about this next sentence is it kind of gives us a problem. Now, it's not a problem that we assume would assume, which is like that there's some sort of sin in the world. It's just a problem of like, huh, there's something that's not, that's not there that should be there. So what's that problem? Well, the earth was without form and void. Okay, so that simply means it was unformed and unfilled. That is, it's, it's a little amorphous. It doesn't have structure yet, and it doesn't have stuff in it yet. So what does God go about doing to, to fix this problem? Again, not a sin problem, just not something there. Well, he starts forming it and filling it. He forms the earth, he forms light, and he fills it with creatures and things like that. And then we get to kind of the apex or the, 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 all of the reason why we're given this, this material, which happens in verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and do what? fill the earth and do what subdue the earth 
So I just kind of, I think that what's happening here in Genesis 1 is God saying, look, I'm the creator who forms a good place for you to live, and I fill it with stuff. And the reason I'm telling you this, humanity, is because I want you to go out and make beautiful gardens and fill them with beautiful people by having lots of babies. <laughs> so I think that's the main thrust of Genesis 1. Matt, I think what's helpful about that is, and we might have talked about this on a previous episode, but one way that uh, we help students grow in finding like the topic sentence or like a thesis statement or summary statement is by just encouraging them to pay attention in English class at school, right? That the better we get at handling, handling literature, uh, the better we get at understanding the Bible. And one way that we can, we can model this well for them is teaching in a way where the main point, what we would call expository preaching or expository teaching, that the main point of the text becomes the main point of our sermon or lesson that we're giving. Um, Linda, if you're teaching this, how are you starting off? Sure. So I would like, just to give a caveat here, I have never explicitly taught a lesson that was just supposed to be on Genesis 1, but I've taught a lesson on creation um, that was primarily rooted in Genesis 1, right? And so it, it, touched on so many different things that you can do with this. Um, I, the basic outline of my lesson was that the triune God created everything out of nothing, all for his glory. Hmm. Um, and you can see that in so many different ways, but even just in the beginning, it, it talks about, um, you see God, and then you see the spirit of God, you use some cross references, like in John chapter one, and you can say, Hey, look, um, Jesus was involved in this too. And so you see, it's a, it's the triune God. Um, and then you see how he created things. Well, he created things by speaking them. Um, and I use some cross references for that, um, in Hebrews eleven three, um, he created everything out of nothing. Um, which is one thing that you can really just kind of camp out on for a while, this idea that God can create things out of nothing. I can't do that. I have to have the raw materials. And I think I spent a lot of the time in the lesson just kind of helping students put some flesh to that idea and thinking through, okay, like God is the one who came up with like cocoa from which we get chocolate. He came up with peanuts, with coffee beans, with blueberries, with sugar, sunsets, trees, Colors, the fact that we don't live in a monotone world, mm. um, hair, freckles, the fact that we live in a world where there's music and not just monotone sounds, um, wind, water, waves, fire, your favorite sights and sounds and smells and feelings. God is the one who even came up with the idea that though that there are sights and smells and touches and feelings and all, all of that, right? Um, and so it just says so much about his power and his creativity that he came up with all of that. Um, and then talking about how it's all for his glory, um, which really, I think in talking about that, I was using some more cross references from Colossians chapter one, but, but all those things I just named off blueberries and tastes and sounds and like, those are not just made because they're kind of cool, but they're made for his glory. They, they show us that he is good. Right. And so that's a lot of what I've done, um, with Genesis chapter one, uh, is just talking about all these different things from creation. Um, and that's not even getting into, uh, the image of God that we could talk about as well. 
Yeah. And I think it's, it's helpful, hopefully for our listeners, as Matt was saying, uh, you know, if we're teaching this chapter, you know, from verse one through, uh, you know, whatever, tw- uh, 27, or maybe the end of the chapter 31, um, you know, in an expository manner, looking at the, what the main point is, or maybe more topically, just thinking about creation. And as Linda just modeled for us, well, uh, thinking through um, how does other verses in the Bible support um, support thinking about creation. I was thinking similarly, uh, maybe it's because I'm, I'm preparing to teach in uh, starting in the new year, um, our high school students and some college students, um, just going through systematic theology. One thing about Genesis 1 that is so helpful is if we're teaching different topics about theology, uh, as you mentioned, Linda, uh, if we're teaching the Trinity, we see it right here in Genesis 1. So one of the arguments about the Trinity, um, I had a, a friend in college who was not a Christian, and they said, oh, the Bible never uses uh, the word Trinity. So how do you believe in Trinity? That's what another religion would argue. And just thinking about, you know, here in the first few verses of the Bible, well, the first two verses, in the beginning, God. So we see God the Father creating. And then in verse two, we see the Spirit of God. And we know from Colossians chapter one, as you mentioned, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. The other thing we see here, if we're teaching topically theology, um, if we're teaching about the Trinity, we see in verse 26, Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish. So we see right there, not only the word us, but our come up twice, which is showing we see the Trinity right here in Genesis chapter one. And I think what this helps us realize is three different ways we could teach this. And this is only only three of us, right? If we were having a conversation with more people, I think we could have um, a, a bigger variety of, of ways to teach this. Um, Matt, I have a question for you. Ooh, um, I liked I liked what you said about, um, you know, the, the typical question uh, students want to ask, how old is the earth? Um, how would you, um, I agree with you that that's not the main point here, um, but if, if you're teaching this and a kid raises his hand and says, but Pastor Matt, I want to know right now, like, what do you think about this? Are you usually punting that also? Or are you going to like take five minutes out of your lesson and go at it? Like, like take us into your youth room. How do you normally handle that? Yeah, great question. I, um, if I had, I wouldn't totally punt and tell them, hey, shut up, kid. You, you can't ask me that question, right? Um, I would try to get the main point out, you know, first, then, then what I would probably try to do, and I've done this before is circumscribe some of the, uh, some of the parameters. Okay. So, um, you know, I might give some reasons why you might think the earth is young and some reasons why you might think the earth is a little older. And so a, a quick example of that is say, okay, like interpreters look at this text and they have they've got some trouble, you know, with kind of a naturalistic world because there's light before there's sun. Okay. So that's, there's, that's kind of one parameter that might say, well, maybe the, maybe the earth is right. Like young, maybe this kind of just happened kind of like instantaneously or very, you know, like over the course of seven actual 24 hour days, you've also got the natural reading of the word day, yom in Hebrew, which generally means a, you know, a 24 hour period. So that's a very natural reading. You also have other things with regards to the question of the day, which is how do we count a day before the sun is there? That's an interesting question. There's also the summer summary verse, um, 
um, that uh, these, you know, the, in Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And so the question is, well, does that mean that it was only one day? Now, you know, there are, in other words, there are multiple ways that the word even day is used in this kind of first chapter um, or first chapter in a little bit. And so um, uh, those are some of the things I would begin to circumscribe around this question. And then I would, I would have to, I would have them ask other questions um, to follow up because there's way too many things to answer. Justin. So Matt, Matt, is your, is your yeah. default, um, I realize, you know, and we talked about this on a previous episode when we talked about small groups, is your default to have almost like a quote unquote sermon that you're giving your kids or when you're teaching the students, is it more of a conversation that you're having or can you just take us in there? And then I want to go to Linda next. Like yeah. what is your default mode that you, you enjoy teaching the most? Yeah. Great, great question. So if I'm teaching a sermon and I, I think a sermon works best in, in, in slightly bigger groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a sermon is really aimed at the heart. If I'm teaching a sermon, it's my job to do the exegesis and then give you the re- and give you the meaning and what God wants to teach you. So if I'm teaching a sermon, I'm not getting into the exegesis that much, unless it's very, very helpful to why I think that God's marching orders for people who are made in his image are supposed to be to form and fill the earth, right? Culture makers to love the world, right? Um, so yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not getting into those exegetical questions in a sermon at all. If I've got a smaller group and I can kind of, we have time to dig into it. I want, I would want to walk them through really slowly some of the exegesis or interpretation of each one of these verses. So that'll happen more in a teaching time or, or in a smaller group time. Yeah, that's helpful. Linda, what does that look like for you? What, what's kind of your default that you would, you would hope to have? Yeah, I would say that most of the programs I've done, even here and in my last church, um, the the kind of like sermon-ish style has not been best for um, our context. There have been some times when we did maybe a 10-minute upfront like uh, monologue lecture before breaking into small groups. But if I'm thinking of Sunday school um, or other programs, those are end up being much more interactive. Um, and a lot of that is, hey, we have like 50 minutes and like what what middle schooler is going to sit through 50 minutes of just monologue? And even if they could, I wouldn't want them to because I think they can take a lot more out of the lesson when they actually are interacting with it. Um, yeah, so, so I, I less and less of finding myself in situations where it would be a monologue. Yeah, well, I, I found similar that, um, you know, I, there's nothing more I enjoy doing than preaching the word of God, but with students, um, especially like, uh, like you said, on a Sunday morning, uh, I probably have about 40 minutes of teaching with our high school students. And if I have a, if I have a room full of 65 of them, if I were to talk at them for 40 minutes and then they're going to go listen to a sermon after that, um, that um, that's a lot. So what I like to do is teach for about six to eight minutes and then launch a question at them that I always use the line, talk to the person or people next to you. They talk about it, answer it, and then bring it back. I teach another segment. What I found that does is it, instead of me only spoon feeding them, which I think is helpful, I think um, primarily um, God intended for us to learn through the teaching and preaching of the word. But if I can put the spoon in the hand of the kid 
Um, I remember just two weeks ago, I asked a question and a kid who comes to my youth group, who I'm pretty sure told me this past summer, he's not a Christian. Now, maybe he became one since then, but he just answered a question so well. And I, I would, I could have told him that, but instead I asked in a way where he answered it in front of the other, in front of the whole group. And I think that was so helpful, um, just to help students, um, help students think on their own rather than just always telling them, um, telling them what to think. Um, Matt, as we think about Genesis one, and we think about um, just a lot of repetition that we see here, right? Verse three, and God said, verse six, and God said, nine, and God said again and again and again. How do you handle repetition in teaching students? Um, in, I suppose, I suppose in this passage, I think the repetition is meant to bring something out about this, right? And it's meant to bring out the rhythms of the day and the week. So in the, the theological world, this is the theory that the Genesis 1 is teaching us about the rhythms of the week. It's called the analogical day view. Um, but that it just basically means that, hey, look, God has a work week. And he wants to show us what that work week looks like. It has a rhythm. It has a morning. It has an evening. Uh, and then there's a rest. And it, guess what? That rest is on the seventh day, just like your rest is supposed to be on the seventh day. And so, yeah, I mean, anytime you see repetition like this, there's a couple of questions. Why is it there? Probably to highlight something. But then also, and there's some things in the text that, I, that are confusing to me. I've got theories that I'm not going to go into. You also ask, well, why is the repetition different? So for instance, it was good as repeated on every day, except for one. Well, it's repeated. It's, there's only five times that it says it was good. One time it says it was very good. And, you know, any guesses as to which day God doesn't say, say it was good. Now, it could just be an oversight. Probably not, because God's word doesn't have oversights. So there's a day that doesn't say it was good. Um, that would be the second day. Um, so, you, you know, you can throw out theories if you want to. So you're also asking, well, why is this, why is this different? You know, so questions like that, like some, so one of our, you know, our professors used to always tell us, don't just ask why something's there, ask why something's not there. Um, and that's just something that would be, that's kind of fun to bring out of a text. Yeah, I think, I think asking questions like that, especially to students can help them start to uh, build that into the rhythm of their Bible reading too. I know one question I like to ask is what surprised you about this text, um, which can, you can get some fascinating answers. I know recently, um, uh, it's near Christmas time when we're recording and we were in Matthew one at Bible study. And I asked them, what surprised you about the text? And one of the students thought where it said uh, that Joseph didn't know Mary. Um, one of the students literally not joking thought that that meant that um, once Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, that he like stopped talking to her until the baby was born. And I like expected that to be a joke, but like there was no ha ha moment. Um, and like, it's just one of those times where like, if, if we're only talking at students and telling them what the Bible says, which again, I think should be primary, if we're not asking them questions in our teaching, we don't always know what they're thinking. And now I know that when I teach the Bible to students, I, I, I will always think of this one student in particular who thought that because I know there might be other ones like him. And I, I looked at him and I told him, that's a very clear reading of the text that Joseph didn't know Mary. Um, but as we think about this, and we think about this text here in Genesis 1, I think what you just said, you know, what does the text say, but also what doesn't it say 
uh, can be a helpful question um, or helpful questions to ask. Yeah. Again, just, just to one other thing to point out, it, it doesn't, you know, every day is in there was evening, there was morning, the X day, but it doesn't say that on the seventh day, you know, and, and I think that, that, that brings up lots of really fun kind of questions and thoughts, but well, what, what is God trying to tell us about that? Yeah, that's a helpful thought, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, we're now going to go to a short break. Um, but before we go there, I just want to remind you that we'd love to hear from you, our listeners, uh, with any feedback or questions or even future topics that you might want us to discuss on this podcast. And you can email us at the word in YM at cpyu.org. That's the word in YM at cpyu.org. Now we're going to take a quick break. Hey, youth workers, this is Walt Mueller from CPYU. I want to encourage you to expand your ministry to parents by working to encourage, educate, and equip them to effectively nurture their kids in the faith in the midst of our rapidly changing youth culture. One of our most popular free resources, our Youth Culture Today daily one-minute podcast, is designed to help you do just that. You can find an archive of hundreds of episodes on our website at cpyu.org, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Expand your ministry to parents by pointing them to our Youth Culture Today podcast. And we are back in episode 18 in the Word and Youth Ministry podcast where we're talking about how to teach Genesis 1. And Linda, it was really interesting when you were making comparisons between uh, John and uh, the first chapter of Genesis. Can you kind of expand on some of those observations uh, for us? Sure. So John chapter one, I would just look at simply the first three verses, right? Which says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, first of all, every time I've read verse three in front of middle schoolers, they are so confused by the way it's worded. So I have to make sure again, that they understand that's one of those things. If you ask the question of like, Hey, what did I just read? They they're like, that didn't make sense. So you have to reword it for them. But aside from that, um, you know, the word, um, mentioned in these verses refers to Christ. Right. And so it's interesting to notice that Genesis one starts with in the beginning, God, and then John one starts with in the beginning was the word John's trying to remind us of Gen Genesis chapter one and help us make these connections that Genesis chapter one mentions God, the father and God, the spirit, but also the third member of the Trinity, the, the son was there too. Right. And in fact, everything it says was made through him. There was nothing made without him. And so you see that everything, um, it was made like he he was involved in it too um so yeah that's just the those connections you see where like the trinity is present um and like jesus yeah i don't know jesus was involved in all of creation and linda if i can ask a follow-up on that um mm -hmm. one thing that we recently we recently did a, a survey on this podcast uh, where some of our listeners uh, filled out and answered a question, what's your favorite book of the Bible to teach? And many of them, uh, many of them said, John, it was mm -hmm. interesting when I was reading them, 
um, how often uh, the book of John came up. I'm just curious, you guys, as we're talking about teaching the Bible to students, uh, uh, what's your favorite book in the New Testament to teach students? So Linda, uh, and then Matt, then I have to think of mine until we get to me. Linda, what would you say your favorite book in the New Testament to teach to students? Uh, that's a hard question. Um, I think that I've probably several times gone through either first Peter or Philippians, either personally or with students. And I think those are really rich books that I really love going through. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Um, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, and just to, I think John does a lot with creation in his, um, in here. And so just, just because this is really fun and just to pull out one more. Yeah. So what day does Jesus go for his crucifixion? Well, it's right before the Sabbath, right? So that's the sixth day. What's the sixth day? What's created on the sixth day? Mankind is created on the sixth day. What does Pilate say on the sixth day when he is pointing out Jesus? He says, behold, the man, behold, the man, this is what mankind looks like. And I think that works in a number of different ways in John's gospel. First, it works in that this is what true humanity should be like, the faithful human. But it also works in a way of like, this is what humanity has become crucified or under God's judgment. And so there's just something really, I think John is just really, he's just really playing with that beautiful imagery. Yeah. And that, that keeps coming up again and again and again, because I, I just uh, finished teaching a series in First John. And uh, so the same writer who wrote the gospel of John, who wrote first John starts out um, first John by saying that which was from the beginning. And so again, like uh, John just keeps playing with this idea of um, going back to creation and tying it into what we're talking about today. Um, Matt, I wanted to ask you, um, as we think about, we've been talking about Genesis one and different ways to teach it. Um, one way that we can teach um all of the Bible, but specifically First John, is by looking at different either words or topics or themes that come up and then tying them into the Bible as a whole. So I was wondering, this idea of light comes up. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, which the very first time God speaks in the Bible, and God said, let there be light. Um, what are some things you would pull out about that if you were teaching this to students? Uh, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got light and you've got, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John, um, you have light representing God's holiness and his glory, um, that, um, all of the people who are dwelling in darkness have then seen a great light. This is Isaiah's gospel vision and it's around Christmas time. So we got to talk about it right on them has a light dawned. And so light is always light is connected with revelation or the revelation of who God is as he comes into the world. So particularly it's, it's connected with um, Christmas time, right? The incarnation of Jesus, but it's also connected with, um, with the, the second coming, the day of the Lord, right? But then in the, in the very end of the Bible, we have the light. Um, there's no need of, of sun anymore because God himself will be the people's light. So there's this, this beautiful connection to where God, He's the one who, you know, arise, let your light shine. He shines on his people um, to walk in the light. We understand what that means. It's to not stumble anymore. To walk in the light is to obey God's commandments. To walk in the light is to be reflective of God's character made in his image, if you will. Right. In other words, to be made in his image is to be reflecting God's glory from one degree of glory to the next, as Second Corinthians tells us. So. Yeah. Yeah, as we're finishing up here, I want to kind of 
go back a little bit, something that came to mind for me that I just wanted to make sure to say for our listeners, um, you know, teaching a text like Genesis one or so many other texts can bring up a lot of questions, kind of like Matt was talking about earlier. And I would say when those kinds of questions come up, there are some of us that are going to be really good at having um, a lot of knowledge and answers to give. Um, I remember one particular seminary professor of mine that I felt like whenever anyone had questions, he would just be like, oh yeah, let me turn to this obscure passage in the Old Testament and give you an 11 point sermon on it. I, I don't have that kind of encyclopedic memory. Um, I would never be able to do that. Some of us are good at it, some of us are not. And whether you are good at remembering things or whether you have just maybe never studied some of these things, um, I just want everyone to hear like, it's okay in those moments to say like, you know what, like, I'm not really sure. Um, but like, why don't we try to find some answers to this and come back to it and have another conversation about it later? Or to say like, hey, let's ask Pastor X because I bet he's studied this a little bit. Um, it's okay to not have the answers in those moments um, and, and, you know, try to ascertain the answers later with the students. And I think that's, that's super helpful and even encouraging to me as, as we navigate questions that students ask. And I, I would just want our listeners to know, I think sometimes, especially in the world when, where we live, where um, whether it's, you know, people listening to preaching on the radio or maybe more popular on podcasts or YouTube, that it can be so hard for some youth workers, and maybe this is you listening today, saying, I can't teach the Bible compared to that person, or, you know, I'm never going to have that many people listen to me. But I just want to encourage you who are listening to say that if, if God has put students in front of you to teach, um, he chose to put you in front of them to teach. He didn't choose uh, the popular pastor on YouTube or the popular podcaster. He put you in front of them. So I just want to encourage you um, to open up the Bible and to teach it in a way um, that is faithful to the text, but is also applicable to the kids who God put in front of you, because they can listen to good preaching. They can listen to good teaching, um, but the, the person on YouTube doesn't know them, doesn't know their name, doesn't know their family, and doesn't know the school in which they go. And that's just one of the things we need to remember as we're teaching the Bible to students. So as we just think about this, we just want to um, hope that this is an encouragement to you. I know this conversation has been fun for me. Um, and just want to remind you as youth workers, um, just to, we would ask you to like or share or subscribe uh, to this podcast and whatever, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, as we mentioned earlier, if you have any questions or comments or even suggestions for future topics, um, if you can email us at the word in YM at cpyu.org. Um, and I just want to end by just encouraging you by saying uh, there is nothing greater that we can do than opening the Bible and teaching it to students. And on, on this side of heaven, we might not see the fruit. Uh, we might not understand what God is doing, but how glorious eternity will be when we realize how God has used our Bible teaching, um, his word to transform lives. So thank you for listening and we'll see you again on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Word in Youth Ministry. To learn more about CPYU and the resources mentioned on today's podcast, visit us online at cpyu.org.